Welcome to the State of the Lakers podcast. Today is Friday. Thank you guys so much for coming to hang out with Raj and I this morning so that we can finally kind of rehash the entire first half of the Lakers season. At least that's the plan for today. We'll see how much we get to. Raj, how you doing this morning, man? Doing great, man. I'm excited. We're uh, finally back. Uh, I found out my life is pretty boring without any games going on. So um, that All-Star weekend was only one one day pretty much. So it's been, it's been a long week, but I'm excited to finally um, get back into it. Yeah, it was weird having time to like watch other movies with my wife. And I watched a little bit of that, uh, um, that what's it called, Last Chance U, which I was like super mm-hmm. stoked to watch because I played junior college basketball before I went to a four-year school. And mm-hmm. I got to uh, uh, having the time without the games to kind of dive into something like that was cool. Um, I... I am super interested to see how this next couple months goes because it's going to be super hectic. There's a ton of interesting teams. I think you're going to have a, a lot fewer COVID interruptions just by virtue of vaccinations, which I would imagine the players will get vaccinated by early May. And yeah. just and there's just a lot more immunity around the teams now than what there was at the beginning of the season. I'm super stoked about it. I'm also stoked to announce that I have hardwired my computer so we should no longer have any wi-fi uh interruptions if we do then i got a whole other different problem that we got to deal with but i appreciate you guys being understanding of that uh over the course of the last couple weeks as i've gone through this move uh, but what we're going to start with today our, our game plan is we're going to start by talking about whether or not we're kind of impressed or underwhelmed with how the lakers have done this season so far uh, and then we're going to go player by player uh, through the the roster, give our letter grades, talk about what we liked about what we've seen from said player and what we've disliked. And then we're also going to kind of tie things off by talking about, you know, uh, what sort of roster changes we think can be made over the course of the next month to really maximize the potential of this team moving forward. So what I, what I want to start with for Raj is are you impressed? Are you satisfied or are you dissatisfied with what you've seen from the Lakers so far to this point in the season? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm, <clears throat> I think I'm pretty satisfied. I mean, it's kind of incomplete, right? Because I look at the team and I, I have to keep reminding myself that Anthony Davis missed 14 games, which is 40 percent of the season. So you have your best defender, second best player on the team missing that many games. You're still first in defense. You're still a game back of second in the West. I think they're like four back of Utah. So I feel like they're fine. They're in a good position. LeBron's been great. He's been. I mean, we've talked about it a lot. He's been better than better than last year. It feels like, and I think that's the most important thing. The role players are are kind of in a slump, but you're, that's kind of expected. They started out really hot, right? KCP was shooting like fifty percent from three. Alex Caruso was around there as well. I think they're kind of fitting into their roles. Schroeder has really found himself in the last few games, and they're going to pick it up. Um, so it's, I think they're in a good spot. I, I think I don't know if they met expectations because I don't even think that's fair in terms of the how many games ADS missed. So I think they're in a good spot and they're, they look like they're ready to go to go to the second half. I think you and myself and most Laker fans out there have had pretty low expectations, you know, under the circumstances. Yeah. Like if you would have told me once I knew the really quick turnaround was happening, like, Hey, AD is going to miss 40% of the games. You know, Dennis Schroeder is going to miss a significant chunk of, a chunk of games. KCP is going to have an ankle injury. He's going to miss some games. Like Caruso missed some games too, with some back stuff. Like if you told me like, mm-hmm. yeah, like they're going to be dealing with a bunch of, uh, of missing pieces, I would have been like, 
oh, well, they're, they're, I, I bet you they're going to struggle a lot because there were just there were a lot of teams out there that hadn't played in a very long time that were extremely motivated, chomping at the bit to get back out there and play some basketball, and the Lakers just weren't one of those teams. And so right. for them to be where they're at, which is like basically right there fighting for the second-best record in the league and within striking distance of getting that number one overall seed is really amazing, like under mm-hmm. the circumstances. And what I would – I remember before the season saying that I just hoped that their defense would linger around the top ten because I never in a million years would have thought that on this quick turnaround that they'd be the only team really playing defense. Like that <laughs> blows my mind. Like, And it really is impressive, and it goes to show you that there is that there's something – hardwired into this team that is uh you know they're made of the right stuff is what i'm trying to say and it it goes to show you that that uh um it goes to show you that there's a reason why so many of us who are lakers optimists believe in this team the way that we do and as far as you know the anthony davis stuff goes like i just have to uh, we talked about this a little bit in the last podcast regardless of how unimpressive they've looked at certain stretches you know they've had a lot of they've had some really embarrassing losses. They've also had some impressive wins, but the most important thing is that when LeBron and AD are on the floor, they're still kicking everybody's ass. And when LeBron, AD, and Dennis Schroeder are on the floor with either Caruso and KCP or Kuzma and KCP, they still have, in my opinion, the best five man lineup in basketball both ways, going defending and scoring on the other end of the floor. That still presents a, a problem to teams because they have a. They can lean on the fact that they're a known commodity. Some of these other teams are fighting to figure out who they are. You know what I mean? And it's a different type of battle that they're going through this season. The Lakers know who they are. They are already a formed product. They're a finished product. What they're doing right now is just getting through stuff. And so when you kind of factor all that in, I would say that things have gone better than they could have. Yeah, and and it's funny. Like We say AD has missed 14 games. But he's actually like only played well <clears throat> in like a few of them, right? Like a few the first few games that he even played in, he was sleepwalking. He didn't play really till the fourth quarter. Um, he's like I think he only had like a few dunks to start the season. Um, he wasn't even going to the basket. So um, even though he's missed only fourteen, which actually is a lot, um, he actually hasn't even played well or wasn't even in condition really um, starting the year. And then you look at the other teams that were in the bubble, right? So Boston is hovering at 500. They're like 19 and 18. Uh, Miami, I think, is still uh, around there. Um, yeah, the Miami's also 19 and 18. Uh, Denver just started to pick it up, but they're only what, they're 21 and 15. And then, um, yeah, so you look at those teams, they really started slow. So the Lakers actually came out hot. I They've think been that the was the best because of the final four teams. The final four eight, teams in the bubble, the Lakers have been by far the best, for sure. Right. And I, th- I think that has to do also with the additions, right? They had Schroeder, Harrell, um, Marcus all these guys that were kind of new blood to the team. And then LeBron, for some reason, just decided I want the MVP, so he went. He went kind of berserk. So, um, yeah, I think I think they're in a good spot. And uh, yeah, I think you're right. They probably exceeded the expectations. They were probably thought to start slow, but they didn't. They came out hot. They got a nice cushion of of, of leads of, of wins. So they were able to kind of slow their way into the break. Um, LeBron took off the last game as well. So and then Schroeder missed time with COVID as well with the COVID protocols. Uh, Marcus Gasol is going to be out still. That still dealing with little things. Because it's been seven days since he was knocked out. Is there any intel on that? Like, did he actually test positive? Is that what happened? Yeah, there's no news on that, but he is ruled out for tonight. So we'll okay. Well, well, then I would say he tested positive. Then (laughs) yeah, Yeah, we could just do math there because he would have been back in seven days. Correct, I would think. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're really strict with that, so I'm not sure how the contact tracing is going to work. Like Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, who got it from a guy who tested positive because of the haircut, 
right? Um, they're still out till Saturday or something like that. So, but that so but that made sense though because they tested po- like from what I understand, like the guy tested positive and they were right. exposed one day apart, but both that weekend. So the 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 seven days would release them this weekend, which makes sense. Right. But Gasol missed before the Phoenix game, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, 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 th- so I think we can pretty safely assume that he tested positive. Would be my guess. Yeah. And I'm not I obviously don't have reporting on that or anything. I'm just <laughs> doing some math here. Yeah. Um, but you're right. That, that's another thing. Um, and, and, and you know, it's funny because like everything is relative. I always talk about the the regular season in the NBA is all about motivational advantage. Uh, not all about talents, big part of it, coaching, all that good stuff. But one of the big factors that constantly gets uh, uh, you know misrepresented is motivational advantage. Like even tonight's game, you know tonight's game is going to be a really interesting one. I think I think the, I think this Pacers Lakers game is going to be a battle. You know the Pacers have a lot more to play for in that game. They just do. They're a team that they're a team that is very scrappy and they're a team that kind of has a lot of guys that, uh, that don't get a ton of national exposure. They're going into a team that's basically the national darling of the, of the league and the, and the Lakers, it looks like with them being kind of out of the first place hunt, uh, they're not entirely out, but they're kind of distant. It's like they're going to be the second or the third seed, and it's just not really going to be a problem. So it's it's one of those things where like that's going to be a big factor tonight, and that's a big factor in every regular season game. If you happen to catch James Harden in an L.A. back to back, like he's probably not going to be as stoked for that second game because he's been in L.A. for a few days and he's kind of having fun, you know, in a regular mm-hmm. season. I mean, and so the point is, is like you always have to factor that in. And in the Lakers, by far had the least motivational advantage coming into the season with the quick turnaround, with them being defending champs, with them getting better and knowing that they didn't necessarily need to attack the regular season. So for them to be where they are, I think speaks volumes about just how 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 talented they are and also how they're just wired to overcome that lack of motivational advantage. Right. And it, and it feels like, like we always say, um, Anthony Davis is kind of overstated in their defense, right? The defense from principle still stayed the same, even though he's not there. And I think that's what's kept them in it. Um, Vogel's kind of trapping schemes and chaos and putting guys in the right position. And he, he, he's kind of got comfortable as well. He knows what buttons to click. Um, sometimes fans kind of get mad at like regular season decisions. Um, I think he had a few, few times where he benched a few people, but, um, yeah, I feel like he kind of keeps them in it as well. And he, he gives them like a schematic advantage. I think he's a really good coach. Um, I think he's helped, um, help them push through this. So, uh, yeah, I feel like just looking big picture, big picture, looking at the forest through the trees and all that, they're in a good position. Um, Phoenix started hot. Utah started blazing hot. They lost like three or four going into the break. So I, I feel like teams are starting to settle down. So I was looking last year, the Lakers, um, through 37 games this year are 23, 24 and 13. They were 30 and seven through 37 last oh, year. So that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which, again, I mean, six-game sample, when you just put it into all the context, isn't, like, crazy, right? Because, again, AD missed 14. He, I think he only missed, like, three going up to that time um, in last, last year. Um, and he yeah, was playing last better year. last season. Like, AD has not been one of the ten best players in basketball this year, oh, even if you just no. looked at when he was playing. Like, you know, we talked about this at length. Like, we are both huge believers in AD, and yeah. I think we're both super confident that he'll be a very impactful player in the playoffs but make no mistake, he just hasn't been AD this year. He's been uh, a shell of himself, you know, for lack of a better term. Right, yeah. And it's kind of funny that AD and LeBron kind of switched the roles that we thought they would be, right? We thought AD, the 27-year-old, now 28. I think yesterday was his birthday. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday, AD. But um, we thought he would be the one that's kind of coming out blazing. And he's the one that's like, you know what, I'm going to chill through this first 
have. I'm going to shoot my little mid-range jumpers, and we're still going to win. I'm not going to attack the basket and, and do all that. So I, I feel like he's going to come out. Um, I feel like an injury sitting out a while. Like us, we play basketball. Like when you sit out a while, you get you get like amped to play again, right? Even even with COVID taking away basketball, like you mm-hmm. just want to go find a park and hoop. And I think AD's the same. He seems like a guy that loves basketball. So um, being out for this long, almost a month now, I think four weeks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he got the rest, right? It's kind of like a forced rest kind of thing. So he got a whole month of just no basketball. And I think he'll come back um, excited and uh, back to where he was and starting to amp it up. I was watching the the bubble kind of highlights um, a couple games. like game. so good in the bubble. Oh, my. Like, just the fluidity that he was playing with. It's just – and then, like, the – the mix of speed and power and like dunking on people at the rim and stuff like that. We just haven't seen this year. So uh, hopefully he gets back to that uh, going forward. Do we know uh, whether or not it, 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 so the injury that he had in the bubble was his heel, right? Uh, I think I, it was his heel, but it was weird. Cause my, remember he reached down and grabbed his Achilles. I remember cause in game five of the finals, I do remember was that freaking out for a second. Yeah. So like it's a calf injury. And then there's this tendinosis thing, but then there's also bit the heel thing that he had. There's just a, I wonder if it was all kind of linked, like uh, yeah. in the sense that like he just had that nagging problem down there for a while and it's been something that he's dealing with. Um, I, it'll just be interesting to see because like my thing is like the only thing that would de- derail my confidence in this team would be AD's health. I'm not concerned right. about the way he played. I think, you know, uh, I, I shared the other uh, uh, two days ago, I think, Jamal Murray's numbers in his last 12 games, which are just absolutely absurd. He's like 26, seven and seven on like 57% from the field, 48% for, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it's just bonkers. Like he's just unbelievably good. And everybody wanted to discount what he did in the bubble. Mm -hmm. And the, the reality is, is like, if you look at the guys who all went off in the bubble, Anthony Davis, Jamal Murray, Donovan Mitchell, TJ Warren, it's like TJ Warren's been hurt. Anthony Davis has been hurt. Jamal Murray started slow, but now he's awesome. And Donovan Mitchell's team is so much better this year because Mike Conley's been better that his role is a little different. He's just not as aggressive as he had to be on that team, you know, when uh, 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 when Bogdanovich went down. So, mm-hmm. like, it, it, if you look at it, like, I, I you, you brought this up last week. You kept saying, like, the 10-foot hoops, the 10-foot hoops. You were just talking right. about how, like, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about legitimizing their success. And I feel the same way. Like, this is... These were 10-foot hoops, guys playing really competitive playoff basketball. That was real Mm. playoff basketball. The physicality was there. The intensity was there. The no fans thing almost added a weird pressure. Like, I'll never forget Oklahoma City and Houston all just collectively soiling themselves at the end of Game (laughs) 7. Chris Paul was soiling himself. James Harden was soiling himself. Like, in a weird way, Russell Westbrook was the only one who was playing well. You know, like... That was real playoff basketball. It really bothered me that people tried to discount that. And I think it bodes well for Anthony Davis because what we were talking about his jump shot. I really do think that that he 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 went to another level as a jump shooter. I talked about how like he was clearly working on that shot a lot, but he was building the confidence to be able to yeah. use it in games. And it something clicked for him at the end of March. And then that last like five, six games coming into the bubble and then the entire bubble. And then he shot really well to start this year. And then the injury kind of knocked him off. But between the Jamal Murray thing, I really I really do think AD's improvement is real. And I really do think that when he gets back out there and he gets his legs underneath him, that he's going to be more or less the same guy we saw in the bubble. That's what I believe. As long as he's healthy 
and his legs are underneath him. Yeah, like again, like I hear all this analysis, like, well, if AD's not healthy, then this team has a chance. Well, well, yeah, of course, like obviously, I mean, there's there's no real um, doubting that he's obviously really important to this team. And like you said, with the bubble, like I, I like to say, Ted for hooks because like even if you put LeBron and Kawhi in an LA Fitness and be like, hey, this is where having the championship, like this is where you're winning. It's gonna be good basketball because they're they're gonna want it. That's what they that's what they play for. So I don't think anyone was watching at the time. Like it's easy to go back now and be like, oh yeah, Jamal Murray wouldn't have hit step back threes um, in a regular game. Like, well, that's what Jamal Murray does. Go watch his series from last year. Or like, you know, Harden didn't play well. Harden doesn't play well in the playoffs. Like he just he just doesn't. And, and you're a guy who also believes that as well. I think you're a harder naysayer as well. But uh, but uh, yeah, he he doesn't play well in the playoffs. So it wasn't something shocking. Um, I think the only thing that was Jamal Murray and Jamal, Donovan Mitchell had kind of like a crazy first round that might have been a little bit extra due to the bubble. But other than that, I feel like the basketball was the same. I mean, the bubble didn't force Paul George and Kawhi to miss 30 straight jumpers in the fourth quarter. It's just when you're a jump shooting team, that's what happened. So it's easy to really dissect it and uh, go back that way. But yeah, like I feel like Anthony Davis will be fine. He's he's gonna he's a superstar. He's a guy that levels up in the playoffs. His numbers have leveled up in the playoffs when he's there. Um, so he, he's a guy that I feel like focuses more. He, he has a weird way of drifting in and out of games, right? We saw that really early through the season last year, and then the playoffs, he was a lot better. He was a lot more consistent, but he has, he has a habit of that. So so I, I think he'll be fine once the playoffs start. Well, that's where he compliments LeBron so well, is like uh, LeBron is not a float in and out of games guy. Like when right. he's on the floor, he's he's just extremely involved in everything. That's just the way that he is. And so that, that that's why they, they compliment each other so well. And you know, I, I I think you made a really good point a minute ago. Like him being away from the game for a while has has to reinvigorate him. Yeah. You know, like you could see LeBron like super motivated going after this MVP award. And even he was like there in that last couple of weeks before the all-star break. You could just see it like he was like, give me like yeah. Just give give me a break, man. Like you could just see it. You could see it in his disposition, and so I think I think it'll be good for AD uh, to uh, to get some distance from the game. Well, he did already get the distance from the game. I just it'll be interesting to see. Uh, he's not he's not playing tonight, is he? No, he's not playing tonight. But he'll be evaluated tonight, so hopefully he'll play. I think they play on Sunday or something. So hopefully, I would imagine they'll ramp him up to play him limited yeah. minutes to start and all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, so before we get to our letter grades, let's talk a little bit about roster changes. So yesterday was the stupidest day that I can remember in Laker Twitter rumors, as there were rumors about the Lakers wanting JaVale McGee. There were rumors about one of them came from the athletic too, which is crazy because they're not like they don't mess around. I think it was Sam Amick. I think it was the guy who said that, uh, uh, what was his rumor, it was that they wanted to uh, to cut Marcus Gasol and they were going to go after, who was it? Was it, uh, what was the center that they wanted? Do you remember? I, I feel like, was that, in the, was, that, was that in the JaVale McGee story? I feel like, was that the same story where they I said? Think, I think Amico was the one who said JaVale McGee. But oh, okay. uh, there was, gosh, I'm, oh, for, it makes me mad that I'm like, but, Drummond. No, no yeah, it wasn't. Okay. Drum- it was. Gosh, who was it? I, I, okay, I feel really, really bad. The, there were a couple of crazy Lakers center rumors yeah. flying around y- yesterday, and and so I guess let's start there. Like, uh, uh, obviously, if the Lakers can get Andre Drummond, they're going to get Andre Drummond. But let's talk about just the principle of the thing. Do you think the Lakers need to make an improvement at the center position? 
So I feel like this is a regular season issue. Like, I feel like we, we talked about this. This is like a regular season innings eating kind of thing. Like, do you want to make a move for a regular season kind of uh, decision? Because if you do, then you don't want to trade pretty much. You don't want to trade anything. So you're pretty much left in the buyout market. So, like, I feel like Andre Drummond, I mean, he's shooting like 37% on layups or something like that, which is just hilarious. Crazy. Um, but yeah. All the other guys in the top five were small guys. Like, yeah. It's impossible to be that close to the rim and to miss that many. I I'm just don't understand it. I'm wondering if that's counting, like, if that means, like, contested. Does that count contested, uncontested, or is that just, It counts like, everything. I oh, mean, okay. I think it's, but layups, I mean, they're not counting hook shots there. That's, like, catching and finishing okay. around the rim. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't watch insane. I don't watch enough Drummond. But, uh, yeah, that is that is pretty bad. Um, it was funny because, like, one of them is, like, Fred Van Fleet. I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. That's a see that as a guy that really finishes at the rim. But uh, uh, yeah, like I, I don't know if they really need a center. I, I think they have like a position to fill, which is like a lob threat kind of guy. Just give them that thing. But AD is going to fill that when the when the playoffs start. So um, I think you just want a guy that will eat fouls. And I think Damian Jones is fine for now. If you can upgrade that to a Drummond, um, that's good. Uh, I like like the P.J. Tucker rumors came out. Uh, we talked about him last last week. Mm-hmm. And I said I wouldn't trade for him, but I would buy out for him. And now it looks like, unless someone trades for him, but I think he's going to get bought out as well. Um, we talked about Blake Griffin, who went to the Nets. But, yeah, I don't think they need one. Uh, if they can get one, that would be great. The JaVale McGee one, like, I don't know. When I see rumors like that, I always think, like, where is it coming from? And I feel like that's from JaVale's, JaVale's camp because it said how to get him that the Cavs would have to trade him to another team and then he would have to get bought out just for the Lakers to get him because you can't trade for a player that you traded already. So I have no yeah. interest in watching JaVale McGee play basketball anymore. Oh no. Yeah. That JaVale is a champion. You know, that's, that's as much as I'll say. He'll <laughs> want to ring with the Lakers. So uh, I won't, I won't shit on his name, but um, yeah, I don't think, I think they need it, but if they can, that would be great. I think Damon Jones has been fine. Um, I think he plays that role. Okay. Uh, but if they can get another one, that that would be great. And for whatever it's worth, and this a lot of this had to do with the fact that he played with the starters. But the oh, okay. uh, the best lane, the best lineup with the Lakers last year had Javale McGee at center. But I think it had to do with the starters. But yeah, uh, the, I someone uh, asked me that question yesterday on Twitter, and I did a little bit of research in it, and it's like big minutes, huge net rating, best lineup for the Lakers last year was Javale McGee at center. <laughs> uh, uh, but I mean that doesn't account for the fact that in in all the crucial moments he wasn't on the floor, so they just had him playing at the beginning of games, and that was pretty yeah. much it. Um, so this actually is, we're going to continue to kind of divert back to that type of question, but let's talk about what we've been getting from the center position and use that to frame my answer to that question. So like Marcus all, uh, this season has been disappointing to start, but he's been very good as of late. And there are a lot of things that he does really well that I don't think uh, are accounted for. He does not bring that athleticism around the rim that JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard did. That's for sure. Right. But he adds a whole new dynamic to the offense. In his shooting, which has been amazing, he's uh, up over 42% in his last nine games. And he's uh, it's actually 43%. I think it's 42.5%. And uh, uh, on like almost five attempts a game. So he's shooting the heck out of the ball as of late. And he adds this whole like post-entry top of the key back cutting like crazy elements of their offense that never existed before that is a massive upgrade over what you were getting from JaVale and Dwight 
they don't. He's not blocking shots the way that those guys did, but his positional defense is way better. Both JaVale and Dwight had a, a, a tendency to get out of position. There was a play that circulated yesterday on Twitter of the end of the Orlando Magic game. They lost in L.A. last year mm-hmm. where a swing pass was thrown to Aaron Gordon, and JaVale just did this bizarro closeout on the guy in the corner even though Aaron Gordon had the ball wide open at the at the three-point line, and Aaron Gordon just drove in and dunked, and JaVale rotated back to Aaron Gordon to like shove him up higher in the air so that he would get an even crazier dunk and get the foul, and the game was over. And I remember, I remember being super upset when that happened, but that was the thing with JaVale. And Dwight was a little better with this. With Dwight, it was the fouls. Um, but yeah. with JaVale, JaVale was very frequently out of position, and that cannot be factored in enough when you're talking about the cohesiveness of the overall defense and Marcus Gasol has been very good in that role now the downside is is it, it it's been just him really uh, instead of having both of the centers the way they did last year because Montrez is very different and yeah. in my in my opinion Montrez has been a little bit more hot and cold and they've needed him more whereas last year in crunch time, they could either go to Dwight or no center at all, so you never had to worry about JaVale. They've had to lean on Montrez a lot this year because of the AD injury, and that has exposed a little bit. I think literally last year, if AD missed 14 games and they were closing every game with like a, a center on the floor, it would have looked uglier uh, yeah. than it did. It, a, lot, a lot of the, the AD-JaVale stuff, or excuse me, the JaVale and Dwight stuff was sugar-coated by the fact that LeBron and AD were out there with them. Uh, so what, what what have you thought about Mark and Trez and, and, and what we've gotten out of the center position so far this year? Yeah, so again, like during this time, I went back and watched a lot of the uh, playoff games and then the good playoff Rondo games, right? And then I was looking like Rondo was out, like his IQ was so high, he was kind of outsmarting people on the court. And that's how I kind of see Marcus Gasol. Like in the regular season, it's kind of tough to kind of bear with him. He doesn't take his open shots. He's always in the right position, though. So like, I like having a player I can just trust, right? I mean, he's not going to make the wrong play. Um, he's going to get out, like, athleticized, like, a lot of the time. But he's always in the right place. Um, his mind is working. He's, like, faster than LeBron sometimes, even on these passes. Like, he'll have he'll throw a pass, and LeBron will be like, I haven't even cut yet. So um, <laughs> they have a lot of, like, those kind of moments there. But it's fun having a guy like that on the floor. And he's kind of replaces Rondo in that, like, playmaker that's super smart. Um, and he's always in the right place. Um, his defense... Like his defense is a is a big like question all the time, but like when I rewatch the games, I'm never like, oh, it's Marcus Gasol's fault that that guy scored there. You know, like I, I never really say that. Like he's right there in the right position. Sometimes they score over him, and that's fine. If they're gonna score over a, a over a verticality at the rim, like you're gonna live with that, and that's what makes the Lakers have the best defense in the league. He's a big part of that, so I, I think he's been fine. Uh, Trez. Trez has been okay. There's been spots where it's been really struggling. Like his defense wanes sometimes. I feel like the, that also goes with like he has some bad habits, right? Like when when they put him in the wrong position, he'll go, he'll drop back to his drop coverage. He'll he'll point he'll point fingers and stuff like that. So, but again, like w- when things matter, he's going to be playing with AD. Um, he's not going to be playing the back the back line five. And uh, Marcus Hall's he's starting to hit his open shots. He's starting to take them. Uh, Raptors fans had a he's lot shooting of shooting more. Yeah. Exactly. And Raptor fans had some complaints about that. They're like, oh, watch out. He's not going to shoot his threes. And, you know, he's shooting them now and he's being confident with it. Um, and that's all you can ask. So I, I think he's been fine. Him and AD are still a great combo. You, you see their net rating together is, is through the roof still. So 
Um, they, I think he's been good. And if they want to get another center, it's fine. But I think he, he's been as advertised. I think like the report was, the report said like, oh, um, the Lakers want a center because Marcus Saul has not met expectations. That's what it was. They were talking yeah, yeah. that Marcus Saul was bad, and I was like, yeah. come on. And I was like, no, he's been as advertised. Like he's been what. He was brought here to be. He was. He didn't come here to be a lob threat or you know catch dunks or be even like a high score or like throw it in the post. And Marcus Saul is a you know high high volume post player. He's he's done his job. He's making good reads, making good passes. Him and Schroeder have like a really nice chemistry, which I like. Like they play off each other really well. He back cuts off him and he gets his little mid range pull ups off that. So he's he's been fine to me. Yeah, and it, 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 they both are. Um, you can very clearly see the role in which they will excel. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's easy to see like Montrez, not as a primary rim protector, more flying around in rotations, using his, uh, uh, motor attacking specific mismatches on the block. You can see where his success will come. It makes sense. And that, that, that's all that I really expect from him because he's not going to be a core guy in key lineups at the end of these playoff games. You just need him to succeed in the small role that he'll have. Uh, you know, in the in his you know twenty twenty five minutes that he'll play in an actual playoff series when the Lakers are at full strength. As far as so, as far after we've done that, as our as far as signing a center goes, you take Drummond if he's available, if he's willing to sign. I think he'll sign with Brooklyn, but you take Drummond if he's available because why the hell not? For starters, mm-hmm. two in this crazy second half of the season. With Marcus All being his age, with uh, Anthony Davis's Achilles thing that he's been dealing with, it's super realistic to expect that depth might be a concern. So having someone like Drummond is a huge asset. You take him in a heartbeat if he's there. I don't think he's their biggest need, and this is what we're going to transition to here uh, right now. I think their biggest need is shooting. And uh, this... To be clear, I don't think they need shooting. I think they have enough right now. But if you're going to sign somebody, to me, that is the opportunity. Uh, the main reason being is you have, you have a depth in the, in the guard and wing core to where you're kind of playing who's hot on any given night anyway. Like THT checks in at some point in the first quarter, end of the first quarter. If he's got it going... They lean on him a lot during the game. If not, they kind of go another direction. That's kind of the whole design of this Laker rotation. If Wes gets in and Wes is playing well, he plays heavy minutes. If he doesn't, he's out. They kind of just they they kind of just go with who's hot on any given night as far as their rotation goes. And so, adding another shooter to that list, somebody that you can go to when another guy's confidence isn't really there, I think is an asset. Now, really quickly to frame this topic about the Lakers shooting. You know, I was actually having a conversation this morning with a friend of mine uh, when I was playing pickup, and he brought up an, an old coach here in Tucson, a guy from a high school here in town that coached one of the AAU programs here in town. And one of his thing, one of his like go to quotes was like, "You always shoot your percentage. Like, don't worry so much about makes and misses. You always shoot your percentage." And mm-hmm. I actually disagree with that. I, I disagree because. If I told you, like, Raj, hey, you've, you've been shooting 34% on threes. How do we get that percentage up? Right. The part, part of it is working on your shot. But a big, a big part of it is shot quality. 
you increase your percentages by increasing the quality of shots that you get. If you like, I know that if I'm not getting into a rhythm, the answer is not to take tougher threes until they start going in because I'm counting on my percentage. I'm going to try to seek out higher quality threes that are going to inherently have a higher percentage chance of going in. That's how you get this kind of thing going. Now, we talked about at length that the Lakers have been one of the worst shooting teams in the league over the last couple months. So how do you fix that? To, to me, like that's not them shooting their percentage. They're not a 30% three-point shooting team. They're like a 36% three-point shooting team, usually. You do that by increasing your shot quality. And you do that by generating higher quality shots, by putting more pressure on the rim, by getting LeBron and AD healthy, and getting them playing the way that they will in the playoffs. That's how you really fix that problem. However, if you had to, gun to my head, pick something that actually might help them in a playoff series, to me it would be somebody like a a J.J. Redick if he happens to get bought out. I actually like P.J. Tucker because he's a specialist at corner threes, uh, even though he's been terrible this year, but we've talked about that at length in another podcast. But that, that to me is the area of opportunity is just some kind of specialist shot maker that you can go to when things really bog down, when guys aren't hitting shots to try to open things up to get LeBron and AD going. Yeah. I feel like PJ Tucker is probably the perfect mix of that where he's like the big and the shooter. Right. And again, if he gets bought out, I think that would be great. I don't think he's done yet. Um, he showed way too much last year for me to, to feel like he's done. I guess this comes down to, because the Lakers are deep already. Right. So when you're, when you're going after these buyout guys, they're, I mean, some of them just want to ring. Some of them also want to be a part of it. They want to be a part of the rotation and it's really hard to sell that. Um, and to me, like, I'm still a Wes Matthews believer. I don't know if you, if you think he'll ever, yeah. So a lot of people are down on him, but I, I think he's going to, I like, I don't think like, like you said, um, it comes down to your shot quality. He's getting good looks. I mean, I don't think he's a 33% three point shooter. I just don't think he's that low. He's not, I don't think he's a 42%, but he's going to, I feel like he'll average out just like KCP wasn't the 50% shooter that he showed to start the year. I don't think Wes was like the 28. I think he started to pick it up a little bit. And uh, his shot quality really did because he he got moved to like the third unit, right? So he was playing almost with all bench guys. Like he was playing with Taylor Horton Tucker as his main primary creator from going from LeBron. So I think he'll he'll also be in the rotation again. Like you you just you just can't play 11 guys, you know, in the playoffs. So even when you're going after these buyout guys, it's it's tough to sell them on minutes. And, like, I don't think J.J. Reddick's getting bought out. I feel like shooting's at a premium right now. And I, you don't think I don't he'll think, get bought out? I, I, don't think he'll, I don't think he'll get bought out. Um, I think the Pelicans want to try to make the 10 seed, which is kind of crazy. They seem like they're already out of it. They're, like, six games back of the 10 seed. So Yeah, um, that but, gap between 10 and 11 is insane. Yeah, the NBA made it so you have 10 spots and they still can't even make one, which is just, <laughs> I know it's driving our friend Jason crazy. But, uh, I know, I feel yeah. bad for Maples. He's had to watch that every night. Right, yeah. So I don't I don't think he'll get bought out. Um, and yeah, to me, like that, your, your options are P.J. Tucker. Um, I don't think Aldridge is getting bought out, so he's probably get traded. But you, it's like P.J. Tucker and Andre Drummond, and Tucker's probably the perfect mix of shooting. But again, he's a corner three specialist, so he's not like a, a shooter. You can't run him off pin downs like – you can't run them off screens, and I but think they don't that's need a, that. I don't think personally. Well, I feel like yeah. Well, I feel like that'd be a nice option to have, right? Like a guy that can come off a, a screen um, and shoot. Like Wes was supposed to be that. Like he was sold as a shooter that could move, right? Like that could come off handoffs and take threes. He hasn't done that yet. KCP has done a little bit of that, so it'd be nice to have that kind of wrinkle to come in. But yeah, they don't need it. But it'd be nice if you have a shooter get a 
shooter that can kind of shoot off the move and things like that. But yeah, I don't know if they'll need one, but it's kind of tough because the rotation is so long already. It's, it's tough to kind of fit another guy into it um, going forward. And then there's also the, the a lot of these teams that are also going to be competing for those guys have these like weird exceptions and stuff that allow yeah. them to offer more money. Like that's the thing, like PJ Tucker, if he gets bought out, like that's a guy who it's well known that he's upset about a lack of money. Uh, so that the, what what in the world would convince him to take, you know, 700,000 or whatever he'd make on the tiny prorated veterans minimum to come play for the Lakers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, a couple of interesting stats for you. Uh, the Lakers are shooting 37.5% from three with LeBron and AD on the floor. Oh, man. That's pretty good. Uh, just LeBron on the floor. They are shooting 35.8% from three. Mm-hmm. LeBron is off the floor this year. They're shooting 32.9% from three. So that kind of goes to what I was talking about. Like, when they have their good players on the floor that are putting pressure on the rim and helping them to generate higher quality looks, they're just they're going in at a higher clip. And with AD being out and with Dennis Shooter being out, it was this perfect storm of of just uh, uh, you know teams being able to load up on LeBron, but at the same time, like you know LeBron not having the ability to to get into the paint to to help draw uh, uh, to to develop these open looks it just was a perfect storm of things that then coincided with a massive slump uh so i i don't necessarily blame uh, uh the laker uh shooters for for kind of succumbing to that if that makes sense i i'm a firm believer that when push comes to shove kcp is going to make shots and I think Wesley Matthews is going to make shots. Kyle Kuzma, I think, is going to make shots. I'm not. I'm not worried about that. So let's uh, let's go uh, player by player down this list, and let's talk about uh, um, whether or not we we they have exceeded expectations or been disappointing. So let's start with Alex Caruso. How have you been? Have you felt about Alex Caruso so far this year? Yeah, I feel like he really exceeded expectations to start the year. Um, and then uh, his role kind of got pushed up. And we talked about this a lot, right? Um, when he got like 30 minutes, uh, 30 minutes a game, but it was a, it was a outsized role. So he was doing more than he was supposed to be. Like he was playmaking and stuff like that. Um, I think he's been as expected though. He's been himself when he's got those, like, I just have to focus on defense and hit some spot up jumpers and make the right play. Um, he's been himself. I think he's a better shooter than he was last year um like I, I don't know if the numbers kind of bear that out now he's kind of gone cold but yeah i think he's been as expected he's been himself and we know exactly who he is right vogel knows who he is he knows um how he's going to play in the playoffs um he can trust him on the floor and i think that's the most important thing and he's he hasn't regressed which i think is the important part he he hasn't shown that he can do more than what he was but um he hasn't he hasn't shown that he's gone backwards so i think that's that's a good thing he's at 40 percent from three on the season uh, okay on 2.4 attempts he's playing right at about 20 minutes per game yeah um a couple other things let's see i'm looking at assist to turnover here he's averaging 2.4 assists and 1.1 turnover so he's over a two to one assist to turnover ratio i think he's exceeded expectations um he is shooting the ball at a much higher level than he was last year he's been every bit as good defensively when he's been in the smaller role and for what you're expecting from that position, I think he's knocking it out of the park. He's one of the few yeah. guys this season that I think has been a resounding, uh, you know, a resounding success compared to what we expected 
uh, on the quicker turnaround. Uh, what about Dennis Schroeder? He's exceeded my expectations. Um, I didn't think he was this good of a defender uh, coming into the year. Um, he's he's a lot more dynamic as a scorer as well than I thought. I thought he was more of just like a straight pick and roll. But he's a really he can isolate. He loves to attack switches. Um, he'll go he'll go by you. He's good in transition as well. He'll get to the rim and he can draw fouls, which is just awesome to have at the guard spot. The Lakers mm-hmm. haven't had a guard that can draw fouls in forever. So he gets to the rim. He gets to the line. He puts teams in the penalty. He's exceeded my expectations. His three-point shooting, though, isn't um, as good as I thought it was. Um, he, it was last a lot year better was kind than that. an outlier. Yeah, but again, I, he just has to hit like a minimal base amount, right? So they can respect his three-pointer, so he can do what he wants to hit that mid-range pull up. 32% this year on 3.2 attempts. Yeah, and again, I don't think he's that bad of a shooter, so I think that will raise as well. Um, he takes a lot of uh, tough threes as well. He takes a lot of like jab, step, pull-up threes, Um Especially when the Lakers are up, he'll he'll take some bad shots. So I think that kind of plays into his percentage uh, as well. But I've I loved what I've seen from him. I I think he'll get extended here soon. Um, the Lakers can extend him uh, four years or something like that, and I expect that to get done soon. So he's exceeded mine. He's been he's been great. I think he's been awesome. Uh, I've been super super impressed. I did not have super high expectations for him. I was actually, to be clear, this is me admitting I was wrong. I was one of the guys who was a little bit higher on like a Spencer Dinwiddie type of guy, uh, a guy who was a little bit more of an elite shot creator for himself. Um, yeah. I think he's been awesome. And the, the, the number one contribution that Dennis Schroeder has brought to this team is his defense. Mm-hmm. He, in my opinion, has been the best defensive player on this team. He has been the linchpin to that entire uh, uh, defensive scheme working because of his ball pressure at the point of attack. And I think it'll be an absolute travesty if he doesn't make one of the all-defense teams. We'll see what ends yeah. up happening, but I think it'll be an absolute travesty. I think, I think his point of attack, ball pressure, defense, and competitiveness every single night defensively has been easily the most pleasant surprise of the season. We all knew he could defend. We all knew yeah. he was good. We all knew he was a competitor. But I didn't expect this out of him. And I, I firmly believe that if he if he had not been the move this summer, that the defense would have slipped. Uh, him coming in and bringing that effort and energy to that position has been amazing. Offensively, I read some of the numbers a minute ago. He's you know 32% from three, 15 points a game, uh, four and a half assists per game, two and, uh, two and a half turnovers, so just a little bit worse than a two-to-one assist turnover ratio. But that's better than what we were hoping for in terms of him uh, creating shots for his teammates. Really good free throw shooter too. He's getting uh, uh, he's 83% getting there four times a game. The I he's been you know a little a little better than I expected on that end. But when you combine those two together, him being the productive offensive player that he has been, he's had a lot of pivotal moments in games too, where he's gotten yeah. a key switch at the end of a game and made a key shot. Uh, you know, a key beating a big man off the dribble for an and one, knocking down a big time three. He has. He's been everything they've needed on offense and way more than they've needed on defense. And I think he's been, you know, Rob Palenka, I think, made a few catastrophic mistakes early on that I believe partially may have been Madsen's fault. Losing Brooke Lopez was a huge mistake. You know, letting Julius Randle walk for nothing was a huge mistake. There were a lot of mistakes that were made there, and I cannot 100% blame Rob because it might have been magic. That said, mm-hmm. since then, he's been incredible. 
pretty much the only signing I've disagreed with was the, uh, uh, Dwight, letting Dwight Howard go. Uh, I would have brought him back. You you talk about this on Twitter all the time. Every time there's a Sixers game, I can count on Rod uh-huh. tweeting out that Dwight belongs in a Lakers jersey, which I can't argue with you. I would agree. Um, yeah. But I, I think the the addition of Dennis Schroeder was, has been such a seamless fit, and then he was proven to be so incredibly important uh, uh, when he was out there a couple weeks ago. I think Rob Palenka just deserves a lot of credit. And I've been super uh, stoked to watch Dennis Schroeder, and I think he's going to be a really, really good playoff player. He's It'll be a little bit tricky to have him on the floor in specific matchups because guys can attack him in switches, specifically like a Kawhi. Uh, but I, I trust the Lakers in a double and recover more than I trust any other team in the league. Yeah, really um, quickly on, on, on Schroeder, you used a, used a word um, that like he's a competitor. And mm-hmm. his like fighting and like, I love like against a really like all star guards like Steph Curry like he'll score on him and then he'll pick him up full court just to be like yeah we're we're doing this all game like this is how the game's gonna go I'm gonna be on you all game like white on rice and I'm gonna score on you another and I just think that's one of the Lakers a few games where they've come out lackadaisical without energy and Shooter would just be like no I I want to take it to Steph Curry tonight like I'm I'm going at uh, Chris Paul I'm going at whoever the guard is on the other team he sees it as some like disrespect like he's not in that kind of tier so. Uh, I, I love what he's brought in that respect as well. Um, for the he, team. his my one of my favorite games this season was his game against Shea. Uh, um, yeah, uh, uh, SGA. Um, Shea was whooping his ass all night long, just eating him alive, and with such an unbelievable arsenal of moves. And we, I, I think you and I both are really impressed with him as a player. But to your point. Dennis was like, I'm here all night. Like, you're going to mm-hmm. have to keep making them. That's the problem mm-hmm. is you're going to have to keep making them. It's, it's one of the biggest things that I always count on when I'm defending in any sort of a full-length game uh, here in town is like, if a guy makes a couple tough shots on me, I just stick to my principles and I understand like there's going to be this, this game is a long game. It's going to drag on and there's going to be a moment later on where he has to keep making those shots. And, and that's what happened. He made two huge defensive plays at the end of the game where he forced SGA into a tough floater, and then he blocked him from behind on that crazy recovery play, which was, like, freakish. And it, and that won the game. Because right. you have to understand that sometimes, like, dudes are going to make shots, you know, and, it, and it's just about getting the pivotal stops at the end of the games, wearing them out over time so that he doesn't quite get as much lift on that floater so that he misses it at the end of the game. That's where you're going to, uh, you know, that's going to be the difference between winning and losing on a lot of nights. Mm-hmm. Um, what about KCP? Uh, I think he's he exceeded expectations again to start, and then he's really dropped back. Um, he's gone. He's had some really bad games going. I mean, I, I feel like it's all fatigue, but I think it's more than that. Um, it got mental for him as well. You could tell his legs just weren't there. Um, there were a few moments in that. Uh, I think that Kings game where you could just tell he was like, "Get me on a flight. Get me to <laughs> you know. Get me to Cancun. Get me to somewhere else. Um, I just." can't play right now so uh, things spiral for him you could tell when he misses a shot it messes up his defense his rotations he does bad fouls and I think the break he's the guy that probably needed the break the most to me um, he's a guy that doesn't really miss games and uh, he's Iron Man in that way and you could tell it really affected him so um, he's inco- like he's been fine to me he's been himself I think he has the largest like benefit of the doubt I see a lot of people like putting him in trades which is just just Stupid. crazy to me yeah trying to trade I, him for, I, like, I trust him 
entirely in a playoff series. Yeah, I mean, you don't go four rounds playing well to, you know, like you you get you get some kind of benefit from that. So He was their third uh, best player, I thought, in the playoffs last year. Yeah, and I don't think it was close. People say it was Rondo, but people forget how many bad games Rondo had in, in between. I'll die there. on the Rondo Hill. I, yeah, like, I, yeah. I, will, I will forever die on that hill. Yeah, Atlanta is absolutely dead on that hill right now. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but yeah, KCP has been great. It's going to be great. He's going to be fine. People are, like, throwing him for Victor Oladipo. I'm like, Victor Oladipo <laughs> is just not even playing well right now. So doesn't really make sense um he's he's been fine he's he's been as expected he's been himself he's taking his shots i think he's been a little better even as a, like a defender he's been faster um he, he knows where to be he, he knows the schemes now he's comfortable uh, i think he's fine he'll be okay going everything for everything that frames kcp season is how good he was in the playoffs and that, that there's good and bad to that there's, the good is the benefit of the doubt and the amount of trust that the fan base has in, in what he can do uh the downside is it is it makes him look so bad right now because <laughs> he was like <laughs> I, I you know i i could not say enough good things about kcp last year you know he had a couple of bad games defensively where the entire team kind of dropped the ball on defense right. like he was definitely on some of those highlight reels against Miami losing Duncan Robinson and losing Tyler Harrow but the for the most part in that playoff run he was extremely dependable in rotations and at the point of attack as just a ball pressure guy a guy chasing people off the three point line and then as i've said so many times on this podcast i think he's one of the best like traditional closeout attack guys in the league because he's an extremely good one leg jumper, which is great for attacking closeouts because it's usually just a like a tiny sliver of space that you're attacking uh, in the defense, and then uh, and then he can knock down shots and he can if if the help comes over he can make that one two dribble easy kick out to the next guy. So it's an unbelievable asset. Like I I don't know what the closing lineup is going to look like. But I know one thing for sure, KCP is going to be in there. It's going mm-hmm. to be Dennis, KCP, LeBron, AD, and whoever's playing best as that other yeah. guy. I think it'll be Crusoe some nights. It'll be Kuzma others. You know, if they need more size, you might, you know, might have Markeith out there. But that, that's, that, that's going to be what they end up depending on. And KCP has earned – he can miss his next 33s, and I wouldn't be worried. If, if anything, I'd probably be like, is he healthy? You know, like that yeah, would be my exactly. first concern at, at that point. He's one of the fastest players too, right? He's super quick. We don't think of him as oh, like a speed fast. guy, but him and Shooter were like one of the fastest guards uh, combos in the league. So, and you saw that really get affected. So, hopefully, he had a nice break here, had some mai tais on a beach or something, and it's uh, <laughs> is okay to it's okay to be back now. It's it, that's the scary thing with the Lakers is like there's this LeBron AD combo which we talked about a, a lot at length uh, mm-hmm. in the last podcast having to do with the way that that can neutralize a lot of the best pick and rolls in the league because if you put them on your first. Uh, on your best player and your second best player. And you want to run that action with your second best player so that you can get him on the short roll. If you're trapping like a Steph or trapping like a Dame, LeBron and AD can just switch that and effectively neutralize your best action. And all that's so scary. We talk, and then offensively, all the pressure they put on the rim. We've talked at length about how good LeBron and AD are. The difference is, is last year they had an average to below average backcourt. And this Mm -hmm. year they have an above average backcourt. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the biggest reasons why I'm so confident in them. Like to, to put, a guy the caliber of Schroeder and a, a solid, solid 3 and D guy like KCP uh, in that backcourt, to me, just makes them extremely difficult to beat four times out mm-hmm. of seven. Uh, what about Kyle Kuzma? 
I think he's exceeded. Um, I I feel like he's he's really fit into a role. Um, some people are mad at the extension. I was one of the ones that loved it. I was really happy to see a guy that's, you know, I got to watch from summer league to, you know, build and uh, finally find a role that he's really fit in. His defense has been great. He's been uh, the most surprising guy. He's he's played the hardest every game, I feel like. I feel like you would agree with that. Like, his energy yeah. has been the most than any player, um, maybe besides LeBron. Even when the uh, team but, is slipping effort-wise, you'll see him, like, run in and get a crazy offensive rebound tap out or something like yeah. that. Like, he just plays hard. Oh, he plays super hard. It's funny. There was a few plays where AD would like go up for a rebound and Kyle Kuzma comes flying in and like tries to steal it. Ball goes out of bounds. AD looks at him like, it's the first quarter, dude. Like, what are you, what are you doing? But uh, it's fun to watch him grow and he's really fit into a defensive role. His three pointers are, they're up and down, but he, you know, he knows his role. His, his role is to play hard. Uh, he really crashes the offensive boards like a madman. Um, because players, the people don't really box out those corners and he, he'll really take advantage of that and gets, He's won the Lakers some games with that. I think against the Pistons or something, he got a big offensive rebound. So he's exceeded my expectations. I never thought he'd be this level of a defender. Um, I thought in the playoffs he was good. Um, he's become a really reliable guy that, like, they put on people and be like, hey, this guy's scoring, slow him down. It was just an insane thought from his rookie year who he was, like, just this score guy who you would hope him to be, like, a Jordan Clarkson level. And now he's, like, this defender, spot-up three-pointer who – makes the right read on rotations and knows where to be. It's, it's cool to see where, where he's gone from here. We talked about this a, a few weeks back on one of our pods. He's been one of the coolest stories that, from this season for the Lakers because his whole, like if you were to kind of like try to, you know, summarize his personality after his first couple years in the league, he's very Hollywood. He's very into the showy stuff. He wasn't very into the winning stuff. And that is mm-hmm. completely flipped on his head. Like he is a bona fide winning basketball player now everything that he does is within the team concept and not within his own individual concept a couple of things that are super fascinating uh you know he shot 30 uh, 36.6 percent from three when he was a rookie on about uh five and a half attempts per game and then he was terrible the next two years and there was a lot of talk about whether or not that was an outlier performance Mm -hmm. especially since he did not shoot the three well in high school or in college um, well, he's at 36.5% this year on five attempts per game. So there is evidence that there is a significant improvement there because um, you, you don't have multiple outlier seasons in that regard. Shooting a career high and effective field goal percentage. His scoring is down, but it's not way down. He's still at like 12 points per game. Yeah. Um, and, and he's averaging a career high 6.7 rebounds, way career high offensive rebounds. 2.1 offensive rebounds per game. His previous career high was 1.1. Uh, career high in blocks the the guy he's just what you know one of the biggest things that always projected well for Kyle Kuzma as a defensive player was his size and it's something that it's something that I say a lot about like the difference between like a Trey Young and a Luka Doncic you know like Trey Young does not ever project to be a serviceable defensive player because he's just too small you know Steph Curry always projected to be a decent defensive player because he's six foot three, which is yeah. bigger than Dame. It's bigger than Trey. He's, he's like a bigger guard than he ever gets credit for. Uh, well, Luca's a big body, and it, he just he eventually will learn how to use that to be good. He was uh, Kuzma was a poor defensive player early in his career, and he has figured out through positional defense because there's there's multiple kinds of of individual defense. Some of it is like a Lou, a Lou Dort like strength and lateral quickness, like kind of like what Wesley Matthews was before he got hurt. And, you know, and when he was in Dallas, like 
just absurd lateral quickness and anticipation and physicality at the appointed attack to keep guys in front of you. That's not what Kyle Kuzma does. Kyle Kuzma is more of like a give space and, and, and try to beat guys to a spot and use his length to make up for the fact that he has to give space because he's not very laterally quick. But he learned how to do that. And then he's also figured out like, hey, I can be a really good help defender if I, if I use my size. And so he projected to eventually figure it out as long as he... Did I drop out? No, you're good. You're good. And now you dropped out. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. So I guess the hardwire is not going to work. I have to figure out what's going on with my uh, ISP. Anyway. Uh, I apologize, guys, for the dropout. Um, Anyway, so uh, it's just been cool to see as he's kind of made that maturity leap to to finally figuring out how he can turn himself into a really good pro. And that was the difference between him flaming out and being overseas and him being like a guy who's going to be in the league for 15, 20 years. And so I've I've been really impressed. I I credit the coaching staff on that, too, because I feel like the previous seasons – his his defensive stance, even I used to watch it. It would be awful. He would get beat off the dribble so easily. Um, and now you know he's really good. He knows how to stay in front, beat people to the spot. Uh, you weren't watching. I don't think the Lakers in twenty eighteen before they got LeBron the year before they I got. I watched him. him a little bit. You watched yeah. a little bit. Okay, yeah. yeah. But I always talk about rookie year coups. I'll tell my like grandkids about rookie year coups because that guy was that guy was a different level of score. Like people joke about the Lakers comparing him to Jason Tatum that year or whatever, but that dude was like hitting floaters off the bounce where he would come off screen rolls and score and look like an 18 to 20 point score. And I think he could still probably do that on a bad team. But like you said, it's, it's great to see his, him just accepting and enjoying, right? He looks like he's having fun. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's having a blast doing his role. And I think that's, that's important. So let's move on to Wesley Matthews. How have you felt about him so far this year? Man, he's probably been the biggest disappointment um, on this on the on the team. Like, I know he's a little older, but uh, like people were placing him as a Danny Green replacement, right? Like, as like he'll just come in and fill the Danny Green role, which I think we really underrated Danny Green. <laughs> like, Danny was better. Like, I can't believe we yeah. have to say that. Danny I mean, Danny better. Danny Green's making fifteen million, you know, a year. I mean, it's a little bit different as well. West is on a minimum deal, and there's a reason why he's on a minimum deal, right? Like this. That doesn't happen by accident. So, uh, but yeah, like he's obviously not Danny Green and he doesn't have to be for this team. He just really needs to hit a few open threes. I feel like his defense has been fine though. Like when he's out mm. there, he plays hard. Um, he makes, he, he gets beat sometimes. He makes some wrong decisions. I think that's like a chemistry kind of thing. He doesn't know where people are going to be. But yeah, he's probably been the most disappointing. I'm, but again, I'm one of the big believers in him. I believe in vets. I believe they will eventually figure it out. He's been playing, playing basketball all his life. He was starting for a 67-win team last year. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. it's just crazy what what has happened to him. So hopefully, hopefully he gets it going. But yeah, he's been he's been pretty disappointing. So he had a stretch, a let's see, a 15 game stretch that from mm-hmm. December 30th to February 10th. Um, February 10th was a couple games before AD got hurt. So he's playing for the most part with LeBron and AD. And he was shooting 45% from three in that span on four, four attempts per game. So he had a significant chunk of the season when the rest of the team was healthy where he shot really well for whatever that's worth. Uh, but I agree with you. I think, you know, 
a lot of times, like this is one of the biggest reasons why I think THT, who we're going to talk about in a second, is going to eventually fall out of the rotation. You know, mm-hmm. the in the playoffs when LeBron and AD are when LeBron's playing forty minutes a night and AD's playing thirty six minutes a night and Dennis Schroeder's playing thirty five minutes a night or whatever it is, like you the 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 role for these guys is going to get even more simple than it is now, and you just need guys who don't make mistakes, who don't have silly turnovers. And their shot selection is really good. Like, you know, I, I, there's going to always be that worry. Like, is, is THT going to go rogue and take a bad shot in a pivotal part of the game? Like when he just doesn't kind of feel the moment enough and, and those sorts of things. Like you, you can't, it, it, you can't, uh, uh, possibly overvalue having the guy like Wes on the roster as an option to put in that, as that fifth guy in that lineup. Like the, it may very well be the case that, you know, in their closing lineup with Dennis Schroeder, KCP, LeBron and AD, that against the Clippers, they might send Wes out there and put Wes on Kawhi and just have LeBron and AD digging and helping on Kawhi. Like that, 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 that could be scary, you know, especially that Wes has a, a track record of defending Kawhi well. I, he's definitely been underwhelming. He's definitely been less good than we all hoped. He definitely yeah. has been nowhere near as good as Danny Green. I want to be clear about all of that. However, I remain optimistic that he will be a serviceable guard in that rotation uh, by the time that the Lakers get to the playoffs. Yeah, same. He's he's a veteran. He knows what he's doing. He mm-hmm. he's not going to make like like you said mistakes. He's a high IQ basketball player, so he's not going to hurt you in terms of like his own dumb mistakes. He might miss shots and all that, but um, I, I can live and miss shots. You know, he that'll happen. So that, he's been playing fine defensively. He fits in. I think like the net ratings with him on the floor are still fine. So he. I think he'll pick it up as, as we go on here. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to THT. How have you felt about him so far this year? I think he's exceeded my expectations. I didn't think he would be this good as an on-ball kind of score um, so fast. that at the, He kind of blew people away in the preseason, right? He had an insane – he had like national people talking about him in the preseason. And uh, he, he was really good for the first beginning of the season, and I think teams have caught up what he is which is a guy who wants to get to the rim consistently he doesn't really trust his jump shot yet uh, but again he's 20 years old so i it's hard for him, me to say like oh he's disappointed you know as a 20 year old guy in the on a championship team I, I think he's been good but you're right i think he'll start to fall out the rotation uh what's roles will really get defined right and he's a guy that's just not good defensively right now he just isn't he doesn't know where to be he gets lost he comes off shooters that have hit five threes in a row. Like he just, it's it's stuff like that that you just can't live with in the playoffs. So I think he'll be he'll be out of the rotation there. But he's he's shown that he's really good. He's not going to get some max contract this summer. I think that has kind of weighed people are worried about that that some team would come and pay him like twenty million a year or something like that. I think that's mm-hmm. oh, I think that's over with. But um, he's been fine. I, he's exceeded my expectations for what I thought because I didn't think he'd be in the rotation this year. So he's he's in the rotation. He's fully getting what like fifteen. 20 minutes a game almost so 17 and um, a half yeah 17 minutes a game on a team that's third in the west i mean that's that's big time for a 20 year old second round pick so i'm gonna say i've been disappointed with him but i'm framing that within the 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 the, the perspective of the fact that in the preseason there was talk of, of whether or not he was a rising star yeah and we talked a little bit about this last week i do not think THT is a future star. Um, I view him as like, you know, a guy that in the future can be an off the bench spark plug type of guy just because he's a super aggressive scoring guard. Uh, The only potential he has, in my opinion, to eventually be like a really good, solid starting guard on a championship team is if he develops defensively, which he certainly can. 
Uh, he has the but, tools. So. He has the tools. He has, he has more than enough tools. It's just going to come down to uh, to him picking up the focus stuff. The reason why you can't play him is he can't shoot. He's a thirty one percent from three last year, twenty nine percent from three this year. Um, in the playoffs last year, he was forty percent, but that's in a very 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 small volume. Uh, I I think that. In a playoff series, he's going to be left butt naked on the three-point line every single time, and it's going to really uh, hurt their offense. And so, you know, I I still think the Lakers have an asset there. I still think that he's a great guy to kind of help bridge, you know, the LeBron era to the post-LeBron era. I absolutely view him as an asset in that regard. I just personally have been lower on him than other Laker fans, and I don't think he can play in the playoff rotation. And so just within that you know, you know, contextualization, I, I would say that I've been disappointed in him. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of tough because he, because he's so young. Like, I feel like, I feel like saying he's not going to be a star is really tough. Cause I think he's shown enough on the ball to where like, that's, that's really needed. Like if you have a guy who can create off the dribble and you said he can't shoot, I think he's learning to be a spot up shooter. Right, like that's just not who he was in college or anywhere. It feels like he, he was, makes the off the dribble ones more than yeah, the, he's, pull he's up, a, the catch he, and shoot ones. Yeah, he's a rhythm shooter, right? He likes to like dribble through the legs, like step back and then hit hit his threes that way rather than just sitting waiting in the corner for the ball to come to him. I think that's what really hurts him. Um but he's like a streaky shooter. He hit one, he hit like two more in the same game, but he'll go like oh and over five in this in another one. So I don't know what to make of him. I still think he's so young. There's a lot of Lakers Twitter that think like he's a for sure all-star. I'm not there, I, but I do think he'll be a starting level guard. Um, Jared Dudley was really high on him. He said he's like expecting him to start next year, which <laughs> which I don't think that's happening I don't either. Know how? Like, who's he starting <laughs> over? Exactly, yeah. But uh, yeah, he's, he's a young kid. He's, he'll be fine. He's he's learning to play with, you know, championship level uh, teams. So he he'll be okay. Uh, I'm trying to pull up his catch and shoot numbers here real quick. Why don't you? Uh, uh, the last player we got to get to is Markeith Morris. So why don't you tell us uh, whether yeah. you've been upset or pleased with what you've seen from Markeith this year? Yeah, he's also been kind of uh, underwhelming from what we expected from the bubble. Um, from the bubble, he was really great. He was hitting his open threes, and I feel like he's one uh, another guy like KCP. Like he's he and he has been really open with it, right? Like his quotes have been really um, eye opening, where he's saying like I'm exhausted. Like every game feels like I'm starting with like 30 minutes already. Like I've, I'm tired as hell. So, I, I mean, I taking that into account, he, he's starting to play better. Like against Sacramento, he played really well. Against Phoenix, he played really well. Um, he's a guy that you know they like to throw the ball into the post and and score out of that. But yeah, I think he's been underwhelming just because of what we expected. But again, he's another veteran that I feel like will pick it up when it matters. And uh, he's he's really started to pick it up lately. So hopefully that that picks up going forward. I so Markeith has been interesting in the sense that I see him as an easy, easily upgradable player that would drop out of the rotation if they got anything resembling a decent forward at this point. I don't want to say all negative things because there have been a couple things he's done well. I think he's been a good post defender. There, uh, when you can, if when he plays the center position and teams try to bully him on the block to take advantage of the lack of size, he holds his own pretty well down there. Uh, uh, he also has had some games where he has shot the ball well. Overall on the season, he's not shooting the ball well, uh, but he has had some games this season where he has shot the ball well. The The problem with him is he is not mobile enough, like the, and he doesn't have the motor that Montrez does 
to make mm-hmm. up for some of his uh, uh, to make up for some of his athleticism deficiencies, and it hurts them in defensive rotations. And usually, when you see, you know, a defensive rotation is like a a defensive rotation is kind of like a like a uh, like a, a ping pong rally that goes back and forth, and then eventually the ball falls off the, falls off the table because someone messes up. It just right. feels like a lot of those end with Mar- Markeith being slow on a rotation and, and something mm-hmm. getting butchered. So, you know, I, you know, he's fine. He's serviceable. He does what he does. He ha- he's another one of those guys that had some big playoff moments feeding off mm-hmm. of, uh, uh, cause he's kind of an irrational confidence guy and he, he, he fed off of some of the incredibly high quality shots that he got playing alongside LeBron and AD. I just think he's he's an extremely likely candidate to fall out of the rotation uh, come playoff time. And Frank has said as much. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, early in the year when they would shrink to nine, it'd be Wes and Markeith. Now, I don't think Wes should be out of the rotation, but Markeith, he just he is what he is. He's your tenth or eleventh guy. He's their spot center when they don't have center minutes available. Uh, or when they do have center minutes available, I should say. And he's very heat-checky from three. When he's got it going, he can be really dangerous out there, but he's also had games where he, he doesn't have it going. So um, he is what he is. Yeah, and I think he, has, he, was, he wasn't done any favors with playing next to Montrez. They were doing that second unit where him and Trez that's were right. like the, the back line of the defense, especially, especially without Anthony Davis. Like that's just that's just asking to get scored on, you could tell. And couple that with him being tired and all that stuff so uh, and he's a specialist right he's like a guy that you can start at the four when when you want to next to ad and that really destroyed houston in the second round him and him and ad starting there really really made it tough for them he's a guy that can switch he doesn't want to be in rotation like you said he's a little slow for that but he's a good switchy defender he's not going to get destroyed on on those kind of things so yeah he's he's a specialist player and again he signed for the minimum as well so he's a minimum kind of minimum player so that's that's what you'll get out of those guys all of the guys are are exceeding their contracts by yeah enormous amounts which is what you need when you're trying to build a championship team Um, exactly but yeah i think i think more or less given the circumstances to kind of wrap this up like i think more or less under the circumstances you couldn't really you can't really complain the only thing is like you know there are just and again, I'm not trying to speak this into existence. I'm literally just, you know, sharing my concerns. There are a lot of examples of, in NBA history of a guy who's got this nagging thing that's been kind of a problem and it leads to a severe injury. Uh, if you remember Derek Rose, he was dealing with a lot of, of foot and ankle stuff and, and that ended up leading to his knee uh, being a problem. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Iman Shumpert, I'll never forget, was dealing with a... Uh, a knee sprain throughout the year. And then the knee finally went uh, in the, in the playoffs. The point being is like, I just hope they take their sweet ass time getting AD back out there because none of this is worth losing him for a whole year. Uh, uh, Whatever it takes, like think of it like this. If he tears his Achilles, knock on wood, that'll take him out next year too. So it it throws it basically throws out the end of LeBron's prime. Whereas if for whatever reason he can't finish this year, which I don't think will be the case, but if for whatever reason it's like, look, he just can't get healthy this year, at least then you can go at it next year with the same guys, you know, and have everybody healthy. And so I really hope they take their sweet time. You've got 30-something games left. What if he sits out another 20? Who cares? 
Sit him two months, whatever it takes. Get him healthy because I just the last thing that they need is to over pursue some seeding thing, especially when you know you can win with Dennis and LeBron as long as everyone else is healthy. So I I just hope they take their time with AD. Yeah, and and just listen to him. I think he said um, before before they went to the All Star break. Uh, if he if this was a playoffs, he could you know muscle through it and play. So that's a good sign. And they said it has nothing. It it won't affect the the actual Achilles being uh being you know being teared and that's all you can do is listen to them yeah that's all you can do is listen to them right and how they say they know their bodies better than anybody so um AD obviously fell he wasn't ready hundred percent and hopefully you know he'll sit out tonight and be ready to to go soon I'm hoping just to build some kind of rhythm with this team I mean um I know it must be tough to kind of play with and without him. Um, and going for especially for shooter Marcus saw all those guys need reps with him. Well, so, and they um, yeah. feed him in the post. That's the hard part. Is like with AD is like he's such a significant chunk of their offense. Like last year in the playoffs, I was talking about this with a, another friend of mine named Paul on Twitter the other day. Like part of the Laker offense in the postseason was AD had turned into Kevin Durant as a post up like mid range score, and so just you know ten times a game they would dump it down there to him and he'd make four or five of them. And that was a significant chunk of their offense. Like that's going to, if they don't get enough reps with it early it, it, during this run, it'll stagnate them if they try to go to it, you know, without much practice in the playoffs. Like if you just start dumping it down to AD every time. I and mean, you saw that last year against the Clippers in the season opening game. Like you need to learn how to fit, you know, within the rhythm of the offense, a high volume post up player because it just it just throws everything off uh, in terms of the other guys' touches. It's it's funny because I see that comparison a lot that he turned into Kevin Durant um, in the in the bubble. Um, that was mostly against Houston. Like uh, I went back and kind of watched. Um, he didn't have many of those against like Portland or even like Denver, but it was mostly against Houston. And Miami shut him down. My, yeah, and well, he had a great game one and game two, and then That's three, right. four, three, four, five. But again, those were off like offensive rebounds. Were at the rim. Yeah, he was scoring uh, at the rim and in offense. He wasn't scoring as a like they. He wasn't bullying them on the block the way yeah. that he did earlier. Yeah, yeah, and again, and again, Houston put six six guys on him. They had Daniel House on him. I mean, he what was he gonna do? So he was shooting practice mid-range jumpers and you're going to make those um he practices those so that's that's what i think i mean kevin durant's going to hit it whether you double team him triple team which is it doesn't matter so uh but yeah that that comparison is funny to me because i i feel like he was that for like one round it wasn't really him you know that's not 100 percent the reason the lakers won is just because you know he turned to kevin durant because that's i don't expect that i don't expect him to be hitting mid-range jumpers at the level of kd who might be the best you know mid-range score ever so a couple we'll, quick we'll questions see. before I get you out of here. Uh, um, where do you have the MVP rankings right now? Just give me your top three. I have LeBron and Embiid tied pretty much. And I think um, Ty goes to the runner or something. Is that how they say in baseball or something like that? I feel like LeBron is the runner here because he's been, you know, trying. He's been pushing this narrative. So I think he'll – and he has, the, he has the case as well. I'm just saying it feels like he has the voters. And then I probably have Jokic right behind them. So I have – LeBron, Embiid, and then uh, Jokic. How about you? Ty goes to the runner. I like that. That's interesting. <laughs> uh, I, I give Embiid a very slight edge right now. I think LeBron's case has to be best record in the league. Uh, and the, and I, the only thing that would uh, give him leeway is if Utah finished with the best record in the league and he had the second best record in the league just because Utah doesn't have a traditional MVP candidate. But I, I think LeBron's case, because he does have a very talented team, albeit – 
the, the, the injuries have ravaged them, but they've ravaged a lot of the teams. Embiid, ironically, has been one of the few guys who's been on a team that's mostly been healthy. Yeah. Um, but I would say that if the Lakers end up with the two overall seed or the one overall seed and he, and he continues to play almost every single night and uh, put in the numbers that he has, I agree. Uh, there's just the for, with him being the best player on what should be recognized as the best team in the league as the defending champ with all the playoff pedigree to back everything up. I believe he should get it. However, right now with the way, with the way the standings are breaking down and with how well Joel Embiid is playing, I would give the slight edge to Joel Embiid. Then I think the Nuggets are going to make a trade. I think they're going to get significantly better. And Jokic has been so good that I do expect them to go on a run. And they're yeah. basically only three. I think they're only three and a half games back of the Lakers. So they are very, very, very much in striking range here to make some noise. And Jokic has actually played better than both of them in terms of their overall uh, uh, effectiveness in terms of just straight up regular season impact. Um, so I would rank it Embiid, LeBron, Jokic right now. But I think all three of them have a really good chance. Um, and yeah. this is as open as I can remember it being at this point in the season. Yeah, it's funny because Giannis, obviously, who won, you know, two MVPs in a row already, he's not going to get votes, but he's still averaging like a crazy, like 28, 12, and 7. And, and as just, of late, he's been insane. Yeah, and it just doesn't matter anymore because people are like, we want to see in the playoffs. And again, that's where I think LeBron has kind of the vote here because of the, you know, people see that they gave it to Giannis two years and they're like, you know what? LeBron, he's earned it as well, but also like he has the votes kind of. I see him getting it this year. He's played too well, and I'm not sure if he'll get another MVP kind of chance here. Um, so that, I have that, but you know, I wouldn't be mad if Embiid got it. He's been playing amazing. We'll see if that keeps up. I mean, he's a he's a guy that's known that to like get tired at the end of seasons, especially mm-hmm. in the playoffs. So uh, we'll see if he can keep it up. But I have no problem with Embiid winning it either. That, uh, that tie goes to the runner thing is a super interesting point that I think will end up being a factor. Giannis in his last 13 games is averaging 32, 13, and 7. Oh, and uh, and no one cares. They've lost and... quite a few games in that stretch, too. They've lost yeah. six of the – they're only seven and six in that stretch. Uh, for him, it's always going to be the team and, and then exactly. his own uh, – the record's not dominant enough, and then there's just still too much of a question mark kind of lingering over him uh, from his playoff stuff. Um, lastly, just real quickly, do you still think the Lakers are going to win it? Who do you think is their biggest threat? I still think they're going to win it. I, I think the Nets are their biggest threat. I mean, I, I watched that team, man, and that team is just an insane load of offensive talent. I, I know they have defensive issues and we've discussed this, um, before, but they just need a baseline level defense. I mean, if you can't put up 120 on them, you're not beating them. And I don't see any East team able to keep up with that. I mean, they beat Boston last night. They even have KD, and they just ran away with that in the fourth quarter because Kyrie and Harden can just hit whatever shots they want. Kyrie looks like you watched him. In Kyrie's Cleveland, insane. But, like, he wasn't – I don't remember him this, like, focus level. Like, you could tell, like, he knows exactly where his shots come from now, and he's just, like, driving, pull up. He knows no one's stopping this. I don't have to worry about getting trapped, double team, and – Last night, he just took over in that third quarter. So I think they're the toughest to me, them and the Clippers, um, those two. But uh, I don't really – I still think they'll win it. I think the Nets are closer than I feel like it was to start the year. I think the Lakers were the heavy favorite. I still think they're favorite. Also, well, I don't think they're favorites anymore technically in terms of I think Vegas. Brooklyn's actually the Vegas favorite. Yeah, because of Blake Griffin, which is mm-hmm. – uh, we'll see. But, um, yeah, I, I think the Nets are the biggest contender for them. How about you? So, first of all, on Kyrie, like, 
Kyrie may be the best. He might be playing the best out of any point guard in the league right now. It's kind of insane. Yeah. Now, he to be clear, he's very fortunate to be playing on a team where some of the like James Harden is kind of like LeBron was. James Harden fills all of his deficiencies, so it's important to kind of acknowledge the circumstance. But I think he's reaching that thing that I always talk about, where your like your abilities catch up with your like basketball IQ as he's mm-hmm. gotten older. And you're right. Like he just knows where his shots are coming from. He he's he's very much in control of his game in a way that he didn't used to be. Um and I and I think he's been super fun to watch. He was always one of my favorite players to watch. Like I think Kyrie's a little bit of a, a crazy person. Mm-hmm. But but he's also a genuinely good person. And he also is one of my favorite basketball players to ever watch. And I thought he was an incredible compliment to LeBron and it was very, very fun to watch the two of them when they were together. As far as Brooklyn goes, I think they're going to get – this is what I think is going to happen. This is my prediction. We'll see how it goes. I think Blake Griffin's going to start playing for them, and he's not going to look very good. Not, he's going to have moments. He's going to make shots. He's going to have some, uh, a few plays. I think, they're, I think the, the upper management and I think the coaching staff is going to pr- pretty quickly figure out that he's not going to be able to fulfill the defensive things that they need from him. Uh, kind of mm-hmm. similar to what happened with Carmelo Anthony when he went to Houston. Uh, right. uh, they had a very in Portland. They had a very specific need for shot creation because of the CJ McCollum injury. Uh, whereas with Houston, the, the James Harden was doing all the shot creation, and they just needed a dude who can defend and make three. So they so they got rid of him. I don't think the Nets are going to get rid of Blake by any means, but I think they're going to pretty quickly figure out that he doesn't solve their problems. And then what's mm-hmm. going to happen is Andre Drummond is going to be this obvious and clear fix, and I th- and I think he's going to end up signing in Brooklyn. I know there's competing reporting out there. There's some reports that say he'll consider the Lakers. And then there's another report from a football player, I guess, who says that he's going to yeah. go into to the the Nets. But the Nets are just a logical solution there. Um, they need a bigger body to throw at Embiid. I know Embiid has had a ton of success against Drummond in the past, but it's a totally different animal when you play him four times in a row uh, and uh, or seven times uh, in a in a playoff series. And and Drummond has a chance to kind of pick up on more of his tendencies. He's got the physical tools that he needs to to be able to to compete in that matchup so i think they're going to end up with andre drummond i put them on the same tier with the lakers i've seen enough they're yeah. freaking good and I, I i think the lakers are equipped to beat them i think it'll be a dog fight and i think the, i would pick the lakers but i think brooklyn's every bit as good as them and i i think we're headed for one of the most incredible playoff runs on both ends of the on both conferences that we've ever seen. I literally can't wait. It's going to be amazing. So, so I saw a tweet yesterday. Um, just really quick, you don't have to go deep into it, but um, so game one, Lakers, Nets. What is your game plan defensively against the Nets? Because I have my thoughts. I'm just wondering. You're quick, like your philosophy. Like you don't have to go through it super deep, but like you're defending the Nets. They have all their players. They have Kyrie. They're starting Kyrie, Harden, Joe Harris, KD, and some nominal center that doesn't really matter here. <laughs> What's your like defensive game plan? Like what do you what do you, what do you want? Like what do you want? the shot to come from if you can decide like you, you can decide defensively what what, what they're going to do where would you put, i'm that? putting shooter on kd or excuse me shooter on uh uh Kyrie, and i'm putting uh kcp on james harden and i'm putting lebron on kevin durant and i'm having ad be a roaming helper 
A couple things there. First, it's not as much of a fatigue thing for LeBron because I really do think that the multiple ball handlers that Brooklyn has makes it so that KD's less aggressive. And it's what wears you down as a defensive player is when they repeatedly go at you, and I just don't think they will. Uh, Kevin Durant will be aggressive on LeBron at times, but I don't think it'll be something that uh, um, I don't think it's going to be something that's going to wear LeBron out because there's going to be so much LeBron, uh, Kyrie, and, and uh, James Harden action. LeBron is one of the best defenders you could ever build in a lab to guard KD. He's extremely strong, and he's good at fouling within the rules. He's really good at using his physicality uh, in a way that doesn't get the whistle blown. And for a skinny guy like Kevin Durant, it's something he can use to kind of uh, keep him uh, contained. My favorite game tape to watch is pretty much the last time LeBron tried on defense against Kevin Durant because he didn't try the rest of the series was game one of the 2018 NBA Finals. And if you watch the way LeBron played, very physical at the point of attack, forced him into shooting over the top, did a good job of getting him off balance and made him miss a lot of shots. Uh, I think that's a good matchup. Uh, KCP on James Harden would probably be your weakest one. I think Dennis Schroeder will at least make things tough on Kyrie. But at the end of the day, what you end up doing is uh, 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 probably trapping any pick and roll action that involves Kyrie or James Harden and just getting mm-hmm. into your crazy psycho rotations. The, uh, as the Lakers have shown in the past, they can get James Harden to give up the ball far, the, far enough away from the basket and rotate quick enough that they can be where they need to be. And then I don't think Kyrie is a good enough passer to to hurt them enough in those in those trap uh, sequences, but most of it's going to come down to you know uh, uh, whether or not they can play a center, and whether mm-hmm. or not AD can be effective as a as a help def- as a help defender. But they'll probably end up putting, you know, the thing that gets tricky is Joe Harris. But my guess is they'd end up. Uh, gosh, yeah, that's tr- It's tricky with the way that they do their lineups because Joe Harris has to be guarded too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I suppose I don't necessarily like the idea of AD on KD. What about you? Yeah, I, I probably wouldn't do that either. Like my thing is like these to me, like the indiv- individual matchups don't even really like count here because there's going to be so many screens and switching. So I would just have a philosophy, like whoever's on Harden, I'm trapping that Harden the screen roll, sure. making him give it up. Yeah. And I'm making Bruce Bowen score 30. I'm making Bruce Brown, sorry, score 30 or Andre Drummond have to score 30. KD's going to get his shots. If he wants to ISO against LeBron, because I agree, I would put LeBron in. Then go ahead. You want to ISO against LeBron 30 times a game, you could do that. I don't think that would be enough points per possession or whatever to win the game. Kyrie as well, I think I would I would probably trap him as well, but just depending on situation, if you have to switch it or not. It's all tough. I mean, Joe Harris is going to be flying around screens. Um, you have to be careful of that. I'd have AD guarding whoever the big man is. So, like, whoever, let's say Bruce Brown is their technical big man. I'd have AD on him and then uh, covering up so he can defend the corner three and the roll as he did against Miami. So, again, it's tough, though. There's no right answer here, right? Because, you know, they might score anyway. It doesn't, it, they're that good offensively. It's just, it's just a fun thought exercise to, like, go into, like, Vogel's head, I guess, and see, like, what he would do. He's a guy I think that, that like prioritizes protecting the rim. Right. And so I, it's kind of interesting to see it from that way. Houston, Brooklyn puts a lot more pressure on the limb than, than like the Clippers do. They like, cause Harden and Katie will attack the basket. They'll dunk on you if you don't protect it. So it's, it's a tough cover either way. And I think you're right. It'll be a, it'll be a hell of a series. It's a, it's a toss up. I give the Lakers the edge just because they won it last year, but it's a, it's a hell of a series. I, I would I wouldn't be surprised by any outcome with Brooklyn. Like I wouldn't be surprised if they lost to Miami or Philly or some crazy team uh, <laughs> that that schemed them into just becoming a pull up jump shooting team and they just didn't make enough yeah. shots. 
but I also wouldn't be surprised if they won it all. I think I think they're kind of like a uh, such a new construct, you know, superstar laden team that doesn't defend. They're such a new construct that it's kind of impossible to 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 just like resolutely stand up and be like, I know these guys are going to lose because it just you just don't know. But uh, exactly. I I do think I would put them on the top tier. There's too much evidence. I think. I do think they're not as good as they've looked because they've looked like world beaters lately. I think that teams will have a much better time attacking their switching scheme in a seven-game series. I think that teams are going to figure out how to attack their defense around the rim uh, 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 just with their lack of size. I think teams are going to figure that out. Um, But at the end of the day, the way to beat them would be to stagnate them and turn them into a jump-shooting team and just hope that they go cold. And count exactly. on the fact that if you wear them out on the other end, if you wear them out on both ends of the floor physically, they'll just start missing these pull-up jump shots. So there's a lot of history that Kyrie and Kevin Durant both have, uh, and James Harden have an extensive history. K- KD, particularly in Oklahoma City, you know, uh, a Kyrie when he's not playing with LeBron and James Harden forever, ha- they have a history in the wear and tear of the playoffs, uh, turning into inefficient jump shooters. And so exactly. and that that would be the way to beat them. I still think Philly and the Lakers are the most equipped <clears throat> physically to to accomplish that goal. Um, but I th- I think I think people who are undercutting them still at this point are, are are silly. I think they're the runaway favorites in the East, and I think they're every bit as good as the Lakers. Yeah, we'll we'll see. We will see. All right, man. We've been going for almost an hour and a half. <laughs> this was awesome. I really enjoyed this. I think this is uh, the best pod we've done. I think we touched on a lot of really good stuff. I think we did yeah. as much of a deep dive on the Lakers as you possibly could. I cannot believe that uh, my little Ethernet cable thing didn't work, but at least now I know what's wrong, so I can attack that problem. Everyone, thank you so much for listening in. I'll have the pod version of this up probably in about 20, 30 minutes. Uh, Raj, I hope you have a good day, man, and I will see you next week. For sure.